Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Jerry and Bob. We are One New Man Ministries. We are an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles. That's Christians, believers in Yeshua HaMashiach. That's Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. I always pronounce that wrong. Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and we are here to study the Old Testament, the New Testament, to bring together believing people everywhere in one new man, one in the body of Christ. And just a couple of verses from Ephesians 2, 4. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work, so, so that no one may boast. For he is our peace, that is Christ Jesus is our peace, and in his flesh he has made both groups into one, has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So what are we studying today, Jerry? I wanted to actually begin by going back back to something that came up last week and do a little clarification and it's a good reminder that I got from my wife that uh, sometimes we use words and phrases that we take for granted and maybe our listeners aren't tracking along with us in the same way and so we want to uh, make sure that we are speaking in a way that clearly communicates and sometimes we fall into a kind of jargon or communication shorthand that maybe not everybody is uh, is on track with that. So one of the things that we said last week was uh, talking about the things of the world. And we said that um, things of the world are the pride of uh, the, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, and that uh, that was from 1 John. And then we also connected it with a verse in James that said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And we just sort of left it at that. We didn't unpack that at all. And I wanted to go back and do that this this morning. So uh, just real briefly, that First uh, John 2.16 says, for all that is in the world. And so by world, John means the system of thought and operation that goes about life and living without any sense or obligation to the one true God. He does not deny that there are other approaches to gods that aren't gods, but he includes that in his overall picture of what is the world. The world is that system of operation that is operating apart from the one true God as revealed in the Bible. Okay, So he says all that is in the world, all that's part of that operating system, he calls them uh, three categories, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three things that define the way the world operates. He says these are not from the Father, but these are from the world. So I just sat down and thought about what are each one of these things that he's getting at. He's, in fleshly desires, maybe you can add to my little list here, but some of the things I thought of are our flesh desires food, our flesh desires the physical sensation of pleasure. 
our flesh desires, and by flesh we're talking about our, our bodies, our, 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 our sensual selves, the uh, <clears throat> five senses. We, we look for ease and comfort. We look for being satisfied, whether that's in eating or drinking or pleasure, any of those things. We're, we're seeking those things for our flesh. And I was also thinking that in and of themselves, none of them are evil. Our flesh needs what it needs to survive, uh, to, to continue in, in a relative state of progress. Uh, but the problem comes in when we start to overvalue those things. And the, the, um, the verse that came to mind was Luke 12, 15, when Jesus says to them, one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. And he goes on to tell that story about the man who built the bigger and bigger barns. And he said when it was all done, okay, myself, uh, sit back and take it easy. Enjoy all the fruit of your labor. And God says to him, fool, don't you know that night your life will be required of you. Your soul is required. And so when we begin to overvalue these things is when we are starting to step outside of God's ways and into the world's ways. The uh, second, second uh, issue he calls the desires of the eyes. And I was thinking about how our eyes entice us to want things that we may not really need and how advertising is really built on the idea of creating mm -hmm. needs to sell a product, right? And so when we, we are letting things in through the eye gate uh, without properly evaluating them, we're opening ourselves up to falling into the ways of the world. Um, so I, I also thought of uh, this idea of uh, our, our eyes appreciate beauty. God, God created beauty. Beauty is part of, of God's good design. Sin, of course, has messed that up for us. And so what I thought about our eyes is uh, when we start to desire beauty that falls outside of covenant boundaries. And in particular, I thought of the situation with David and Bathsheba, how he was out on the roof uh, looking around when he actually should have been out in battle with the army. Uh, but he, he saw a beautiful woman and he desired her and he took her and it led to all kinds of terrible consequences. And so anytime we start to desire beauty that falls outside of covenant boundaries, especially then within the context of our personal relationships with spouses, uh, we're, we are starting to move into dangerous, dangerous territory. Um, Job, it says, famously made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look. Uh, actually, my, my English Standard Version has it, would not gaze the idea that a lingering look uh, on, on a beautiful woman. So <clears throat> those, those uh, f desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, uh, really spring from this base idea of the pride of life. And the pride of life is interesting here because, John, there's two words uh, that are used in the Greek New Testament for life. One is bios and one is zoe. Bios is the word that we get biology from. It is life in the natural. It is simply biological existence. It does not look up to God. It does not seek God. It just is life as existence. Zoe, on the other hand, represents a life that is what I, I 
first put just life beyond, life that is transcendent above this world. And it goes beyond the merely physical, and it is the life that is uh, given by God. It is more than just biological existence. It is true living. Jesus in John 1, 4 is described uh, as, as the life giver in him was Zoe, life. And God is uh, called the uh, source of life also in Ephesians 4.18. It says that uh, before we believed in Messiah, we were alienated from the life, the Zoe, from God. And so the pride of life here is talking about um, whatever it is that I value and pursue uh, in this world, in this operating system, without regard to God. Those things that I can accumulate for myself that say, hey, look at me, I'm an owner of four houses and eight boats, whatever it happens to be, Bob. Well, you just took away my thunder there, Jerry. <laughs> now, I'm just saying that the pursuit of material things and status, I think, are two of the idols that we see in the world, and it's the pride of one's lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay. The pride of lifestyle, yes. What we're talking about, the pride of life, is... Beyond lifestyle, too, I think it encompasses uh, the way we think about things, uh, how, we, how we assess our dependence on God or not. Um, yeah, it, I like the way you put it when we were talking before the show about it's where is your, what is the attitude of your heart? Because God sees the attitude of our heart. And, you know, it's true that wanting wanting and desiring has diminishing returns. So, like pleasure, you know, like, you know, maybe one drink will give you pleasure. And then, you know, you keep doing it long enough, you need two or three or four, you know. And same with pursuing sexual pleasure or other pleasures, food, gluttony. And, you know, those come from pursuing uh, satisfaction or fulfillment from, like you were saying, bios rather than Zoe. And, 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 and the whole, and, and behind them, this pride of life about, is it my life? Or is this the life given to me by the Creator, by mm-hmm. God? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do think it is about the attitude of one's heart, and it's sort of a good place to uh, to for the opening line of this week's Parsha. That's the portion of mm-hmm. the Torah that we mm-hmm. study every week, which starts with Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. Yeah, Jerry, I think we're in in this day, in this world today that we're in a shortage of no idols. There's plenty of idols that that people pursue, and mm-hmm. and and living in an affluent country that we do, that, that the status is a part of it. Mm-hmm. And whatever your eyes focus on, you know, and it's all temporary. You know, John says, focus on the things that are unseen, not on the things that are seen. So, I mean, he was also referring to Zoe, a life that he was talking about. Yes, I'm glad you, you brought it in that way, is, is the uh, pride of life, the way John is describing it, is an emphasis on things that are not eternal. Bingo. Things that are not going to last. Things that make me feel good in the moment that ultimately let us down, right? Right. And 
it, it is a, a good lead-in to, to this section of Parsha, uh, which is the Hebrew word for the Torah portion each week. Uh, he, remember, we're in Deuteronomy, the second law. And if we've been paying careful attention uh, from the beginning of Deuteronomy to this place in uh, 1126, where our Parsha starts, or, or Parsha starts, uh, Moses has not really given any specific law yet, but he has kept circling around the same themes over and over, uh, themes that include um, being careful to remember and not forget uh, their status, that they were recently slaves, and God delivered them with his strong arm, uh, <clears throat> that they were uh, beloved, not for their own sake, not because they were numerous, not because they were more righteous, but because of the covenant and the oath that God swore to their fathers that they receive his love. Uh, there's warnings repeatedly about <clears throat> going in to possess the land and not falling into the habits and ways of the people who inhabit the land, specifically going after their uh, gods because in 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 following those gods it's not simply that there's there's a uh, there's an idol in front of them but there's a lifestyle that God describes in a couple of different places as abomination that goes along with that form of worship so these are kinds of themes that have been coming up repeatedly in these first 11 chapters and it's not until we get to chapter 12 that we actually get the first commandment, the first law that's given. But this last portion of chapter 11 kind of summarizes everything that's been going on so far when he says in verse 26, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you to go after other gods that you've not known. So this is, this is the, the summary statement of all of what he's been saying uh, to prepare them finally for the specific laws that he's about to introduce in chapter 12. He goes on to say that... Uh, as they get ready to go into the land, uh, they're going to be actually reciting blessings and cursings on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. We'll find out more about that a little later in, in uh, Deuteronomy as well. But verse 31 and 32 conclude the whole, uh, what I'm going to call preamble to the law, uh, in this way. For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And that's a recurrent theme, the land that God is giving you. This is your portion from Yahweh. God's giving it to you. When you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. And so now he has said, very <laughs> distilling it all down to <laughs> one little point, you shall be very careful to do this stuff, right? Why? Because one way is blessing and the other way is cursing. And the fork in the road, if you will, is the choice 
of which God you're going to serve. Bingo. Jerry, can I say something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you're looking at the Ten Commandments. The first one is, you know, have no other gods before me. The second one, do not worship idols. Our enemy knows, and back then he was the enemy to them, he knows that if he can trip us up on those first two commandments, the rest of them collapse. So that's what I think that's why mm-hmm. Moses is, is concentra- concentrating on those two commandments to yeah. begin with. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that now that we're up to chapter 12, the specific commandments start to come that the first one is about how not to worship and the second one is about how to worship you know and and what bob was just saying and goes back to the this difference distinction you were pointing out but bios and zoe right because god so if you if you think of the land Okay, you're going across the Jordan to possess land. This land that's teeming with life, the land of milk and honey that I've given you, it's the same as God saying to us, I've given you life, right? Lee, I've given you life. You know, are you going to make an idol of yourself or something else other than me when I've given you life? Or are you going to, like the Zoe, which is, life given by god that's what you said and 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 that really that seed there is the blessing if you if you live life with an attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude for life given by god or the curse if you live life with a false god making god of myself pride of life and all these other things that follow from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the word Zoe means, uh, I guess I could, we can expand on that a little bit, means that the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, that's that's who Zoe is, you know, and I think, you know, that's the life that he gives us, and it's eternal, it's not temporal. So. The... Uh first commandment then is or the first rule that he gives is verse 2 you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire you shall chop down the carved images of the gods and destroy their name out of that place you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Okay? So the very first command that they are given is to destroy all of the gods that aren't gods. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Uh, and again, I'm going to say that it's not simply these, these totems that have been fashioned out of wood and gold and silver, but it is the lifestyle that accompanies them. It is the disregard for life. It is the disregard for the poor and the marginalized and the societies that that are exhibited there. It's the disregard for uh, purity that is embodied in in many of the practices, you know, especially all the fertility cults that are involved have to do with sexual engagement with temple prostitutes, with shrine prostitutes. And so we know these things from from studying uh, archaeology and anthropology, that these were abominable practices 
uh, before before God. And so God is very clear to them that you must destroy the idols. There's a verse we talked about it uh, in our in our Bible study the other day, but let me let me pull it up again real fast in uh, Psalm 115. It says this about idols and the people who worship them. <clears throat> Talking about the silliness of idolatry, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but don't speak, eyes but don't see, they have ears but don't hear, noses but don't smell, hands but do not feel, feet that don't walk, they don't make a sound in their throat, and those who make them become like them. And the idea here is all of these things, they have mouths and eyes and hands and feet, but it's all in vain. Why do you have a mouth if you can't speak? Why do you have ears if you can't hear? Why do you have eyes if you can't see? It's all in vain. And the people who worship them become vain in that way, empty. And he, he appeals to their common sense. Remember there's another scripture he says that you cut a piece of wood out, half of it you burn in your fire mm -hmm. for, your, for your food, and the other half you carve something out of it and you worship that? That's the yeah. same piece of wood. Right. So I like it when, when God tries to reason with them on a common sense platform mm -hmm. and try to turn it around. So we want, we want to be clear here then that God is making it very clear that you have to decide what is going to be of value, that that's what worship is. Worship is a question of what it is that we value. So true. The word worship actually is an old English word that was pronounced worth-ship, that which you give worth to. What I like about the uh, Hebrew description of God, it says he's kavod. Uh, we translate that as glory, but the word itself actually has a first physical designation of heaviness, weightiness. You know, when we, it has some heft, it has some gravitas, you know, uh, it, it's heavy. Um, and that's what we're talking about here, too, this idea of ascribing worth to, to in this case, God, but we ascribe worth to other things as well. And when we get that worth balance out of balance, when we begin to give too much worth, to the things of the world that we talked about earlier, and we devalue God, we devalue God's ways, we devalue God's thoughts, then we are in this place that Moses is warning the people about, you are going after other gods. And I think that that's a, a, a legitimate warning for us as New Testament followers of Yeshua uh, what what is being elevated in our thinking? Uh, what is it that our eyes are locking onto? Um, are are we giving too much value to things that we we shouldn't? You know, one thing about the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, eight out of the ten says, you know, thou shall not. Mm -hmm. And I think. Uh, when you go, when a person starts worshiping something other, other than God, their, their natural self will take over and, and drift away. And that's why I think those commandments are other, they mm -hmm. say, do not, you know, thou, mm -hmm. sh thou shall not. 
And and we should take seriously that our life <coughs> as followers is described by Paul in Galatians as a war between the flesh and the spirit. And so we should not ever sit back and take it easy and think that we're not in danger of devaluing God and elevating the value of other things that aren't God. You think? Yep. And that's every day, every decision, every thought, every choice. You know, like C.S. Lewis says, leads us one way or another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it. it's not that you can, you know, say once and for all, oh, I, I believe in Jesus, so I've been justified and, you know, I'm therefore saved because salvation <coughs> also is the path of sanctification, which is about the transformation of ourselves by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, and is about these choices we mm-hmm. make and where we put our eyes and our values and what we consider worth and worthship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's good. For sure. Yeah, salvation is once for all in the sense of uh, true regeneration and adoption into God's family. But Paul talks about, I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but I think it's in the first chapter of Second Corinthians. He talks about uh, salvation as a, a, a process. Let me put it that way. That there is a past idea uh, of having been saved being saved will be saved and typically we call that justification sanctification and glorification right that that we we have been justified we've been made right with god saved we are being saved from sin right now in the process of be of sanctification becoming holy through the operation of the holy spirit in us right we are being made more holy being saved from the indwelling sin that that remains and glorification is that time when we will be saved from all of sin and all of its presence and all of its consequences once and for all so yes we we want to understand that salvation is not a time is 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 not a a a label we can put on ourselves and say kind of like that other guy now my soul is at ease <laughs> right we 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 are still called to run the race fight the fight right and, and like you said, Paul describes it as a war. And it is a war. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the whole, you know, friendship with the world is enmity with God because right. it's one way or the other, right? Yep. Yep. And and each, each day and each moment is always a moment of decision. Right? It's full time. People have said you're either going forward or backwards but there's no standing still <laughs> and that doesn't mean it needs to taste like a lemon right father and I just said, we can rejoice in it right and mm-hmm. and and rejoice together in our worship of the lord and praise of the lord right and yes. we should amen and I, I i certainly don't want to pass off obedience as something that that is uh a lemon tastes like a lemon. Uh, in fact, uh, don't we find great satisfaction when we hear the Father's voice and we obey it? Yes. yes. And we know that we've pleased Him. I mean, clearly. Uh, and and what's the opposite of that? We we when we don't, we f- we feel crushing guilt. 
and and so sh yeah we absolutely want to make clear that that joy the joy of the lord is is our strength and um is it this section that talks about rejoicing before the lord that i know you want to you want to touch on so let's let's just kind of maybe get into that because <clears throat> he talks first about in chapter 12 uh don't worship like this chop down everything burn it all um but then he says, verse 5, You shall seek the place that Yahweh your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. There you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. You and your households in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And so what he is saying is, here's how you worship. You worship by bringing the sacrifices that I've designated. You bring them to the place that I show you. And there I want you to sit down in my presence. God is a spirit. He's not going to eat the sacrifices himself. But in God's presence, he wants us to eat to fellowship together before God and find joy. You shall rejoice. What are they rejoicing in? Well, what do the tithes represent? But the blessing of God. The first fruits of all that he's done for them, of all that he's given to them, of all that they enjoy. Just bring this to my, to my place. Come on over to my place. <laughs> and let's have a party. Let's fellowship together. Let's rejoice in the blessing that I have given you. This is what God invites us to. This is what God is blessing us for, to share the blessing. You know, the generosity of God is, you know, and none of them, as we read on Saturday, they deserve none of this. You know, they, they, they couldn't earn it. It was just a gift that God, like you said, Jerry, ex God expressed his love through Abraham to the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, and, and Abraham in this while we're reading was 700 years before and God transcends generations transcends time and still delivers his blessings to the to the people mm -hmm. you know I, I think I said this but I'm gonna repeat it because it's important here and that is when you were talking about wanting and desires an attitude of wanting just creates more wanting it can never be satisfied mm -hmm. but an attitude of gratitude for the blessings we've received results in a natural outpouring of rejoicing and that's where god wants our heart to be yeah we're going to walk through tough times everyone's going to walk through tough times they're not going to last forever and Still, even in the tough times, the incredible gift of life that God has given us mm -hmm. is there mm -hmm. if we mm -hmm. can see it through our wanting and through what we think. If only I had X, I'd be happy. That, that doesn't work. It's chasing temporary pleasures. Well, that, that's the thing about whatever X is. It's not infinite. <laughs> And at some point it runs out and you're left empty, empty, you know, uh, 
without, without the thing that really was going to satisfy you. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, right? And, and this is, this is, this is a, a foreshadow of that. Rejoice in the presence of the Lord, in the blessings that he's given, in, in, in the favor that he's shown, in the mercy that we've received. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in my presence. It's just such a, such a lovely, lovely picture. And of course, we, we are called to uh, that in our everyday living. And as the collected church, we rejoice in his presence in the, in the food that we eat at communion, in the body and the blood of the Lord. We're rejoicing in the Lord in that way. There's just so many layers to this that we could, we could just uh, spend so, so much time on. Uh, rejoice, I think you said it comes up four times in this section, Lee. I know that uh, it's there in 12.7. Uh, it's there again in 12.12. 12, and I didn't identify where the other ones were. So maybe if you uh, locate those. But what he does do here in, in chapter 12, then, is he lays out uh, this idea of um, bringing, bringing your animals to the proper place to slaughter them. And... <clears throat> Only the people who are ritually clean can come and eat in the presence of the Lord in that way. So if you've had a discharge of blood, if you've had uh, you know, contact with a dead body and you're not ritually clean, then you can't participate in this fellowship. But what's really lovely is <clears throat> he gives them the right to slaughter animals outside of the holy des designated place. He says in verse 15, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your towns as much as you desire according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he's given you. The unclean and the clean may eat it. So what he's talking about here is, okay, you have your animals that are part of your tithe, part of your free will offerings, part of your firstborn offerings. Those things have to come to the designated place in order to be offered. But if you decide you just want to have a, a party and, and kill a lamb and invite the neighbors in, go ahead and do that. It's not devoted to God. Share it with your friends, clean and unclean alike. Ah, okay. Clean and unclean alike. And so there's this invitation to all then to come and enjoy the table fellowship of godly people, at least, even though we can't go into the special place of presence with God, we can still enjoy God's people and God's presence, I guess, if you will, through his people. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that there's this, this welcoming attitude in all of this, this process that Moses lays out for them. And of course, we'll, we'll see in other places that we need to be careful that we are including the poor and the widow and the orphan and the Levites, people who don't have uh, the means necessarily all the time to sustain themselves that we're inviting them in we're caring for them we're doing justice by them mm -hmm. right so all these things are, are, are covered in chapter 12 um, <clears throat> he talks about um, why they're not supposed to eat blood in this section as well and I know Lee that's a big one for you and you want to jump on that so um we, we we did talk about this, you know, in some earlier and other shows 
about that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And if you think that God, uh, Zoe, right, God, life is given by God. And so if the life of the flesh is in the blood, the blood is given by God. So to to eat the blood is, is in a way trying to supersede God, put yourself in place of God. And, and it also, uh, I think uh, that, so it says here, blood, however, you must not eat, you shall pour it out on the ground like water. That's in 12.16. In 12.23 through 25, it says, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. And you shall not eat the life with the meat. Mm -hmm. Do not eat it. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it so that all may go well with you and your children after you because you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So clearly God has deemed the life of the flesh is in the blood, that the blood represents life that is his not ours to consume mm-hmm. and, it, and it's a boundary it's a boundary line and he reiterates it again in the same Parsha um, he says uh, in 1533 it's blood however you must not eat you shall pour it out on the ground like water so three times in this Parsha in this portion he says it and I think maybe 1317 is a, is a little bit of a pointer at what, you know, besides that God is the creator of life and that the life is in the blood, it says here, do not let anything devoted to destruction stick to your hand so that the Lord may turn from his fierce anger and show you compassion and in his compassion multiply you as he swore to your ancestors if you obey the voice of the Lord your God by keeping all his commandments that I command that I am commanding you today doing what is right in the sight of the Lord your God so going back to this what is right in the sight of the Lord so I think death and destruction are the opposite of life and if the life of the flesh is in the blood, this is a boundary line, mm-hmm. much like don't worship idols. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's a boundary line that's been in place for an awfully long time because this was a prohibition that God gave to Noah. Do not eat the, 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 the blood. Coming off the ark, Noah was given permission to eat animals, which had not previously been part of their diet, right? Right. We, we presume because it seems like something new here. And he says, you're going to eat the animals now, but you cannot eat the blood. And we've talked about progressive revelation or the developing story of salvation, however you want to think about that, that God doesn't just dump all the information at once, but over the revelation over time through different authors and prophets, God keeps revealing more and more of his plan, his ways, his salvation. Uh, so too with the blood it started with this prohibition way back in Noah now we're getting a lot more insight into it as Moses expounds and expands on uh, why we don't eat the blood I think we talked about and you you might want to touch on this too that uh, 
is this idea of blood on the ground. Uh, we talk about uh, Jesus' blood, which, which, uh, which speaks better things than Abel's. Abel's blood cries out from the ground, it says in Hebrews. Right. And, and you know, that Jesus' blood was poured out for us and that he, his, the, 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 at Yom Kippur, we talked about how the high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood of the unblemished land on the mercy seat, and that would be atonement for our sins because of the life of the flesh is in the blood and 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 the once and for all atonement of Yeshua's blood being poured out for us on the ground and sprinkled he is our mercy seat so through his blood he pays the price right the propitiation he pays the price once and for all for our sins and basically settles the account for our sins with God. So mm-hmm. the, 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 you're right, the progressive revelation of, the, of life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Jesus, Yeshua, is life. Amen. And his blood is life. And that's why during communion when he says this is my blood poured out for you when you drink of the wine remember me this is it's more than just a memory and this is what we you you called it mystery land it's where we get into mystery land how his blood the blood of life it could sound so radical to jews who have had this you know don't drink the blood. I mean, don't eat the blood. Don't eat the blood. Don't eat the blood three times in this parsha. Mm-hmm. And now Yeshua says, when you drink this wine, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink it in memory of me. Yeah, it's a mystery, but it's how we have communion with life right. because he is life. It's the Zoe yeah. blood that goes in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just profound, really, um, to consider that we are covered by His blood. Um, you know that that old phrase that uh, we're <coughs> washed clean by His blood. Um, we are partaking when we do communion in His blood. Uh, and that there is, that is the, th- the, the, the life that God connects all of us to and with, and not only with him, but with one another, that that's what communion means. Uh, union with is really what communion means. And so this, is, this gets back to that whole mystery that Paul talks about that the best the, the best single way to understand all of these various mysteries I think is still uh, the mystery of the one flesh of of man and wife that is somehow representative of the union within the Godhead but also it's the same union that Jesus talks about in John 17 that I and my Father are one that he prays that we may be one that's the same kind of oneness that he's talking about that he's inviting us into, and that communion 
does for us on earth what standing in his presence in eternity is going to be. We're going to be one with him in a way that is, I'm going to say consummated. <laughs> for, for lack of a better idea, that, that we're one with him now, but we're going to be one with him then in a way that's going to be radically different. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we'll see him as he is. I mean, that's how John represents it in First John. You know, it's just it's partaking of his blood and his body together as his, as his body on earth is just meant to, to spiritually strengthen us if we really delve into and ponder, I think, all of the layers of, of meaning and representation in, in those two elements, you know? You know, Jerry, when we take our last breath and we leave this body, we leave this world, that's the, that's the sin that is left behind. We are now in Zoe life. We're his. Something to rejoice in, huh? Yes, amen. amen. There's a lot of rejoicing. So let me let me do this because we're never going to get to the end of this parsha. But we we have uh, uh, an Isaiah portion and we have a First John portion that maybe I can link at least to the First John portion in this way. Uh, the end of chapter 12 is uh, a- after he's been talking about the different ways you can offer up meat, bring it to the place, or eat it in your, in your towns, as long as it's not devoted meat, he goes back to a warning about idolatry at the end of chapter 12. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? that I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods, even burning their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. This is a warning that I think serves as a hinge to chapter 13. Don't go after their gods. they do abominable things in serving their gods and worshiping their gods. And abominable things in uh, scripture include things like sexual immorality, uh, things like uh, sorcerers and diviners in chapter 18, uh, <clears throat> things like idolatry. These are all abominable. And so serving those gods leads you to do abominable things. Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Then verse 13, chapter 13 says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives a sign or wonder. What he's doing is he's giving them a case law example. If somebody should come along who is adding or subtracting from what I'm telling you. Because this person arises, he dreams a dream or gives you a sign or wonder, and it comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. And we know that the reason for the test is to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Or are you going to be dazzled by the devil with some signs and wonders. You know, on the last part of uh, chapter 12, it says, do not even inquire. Do Mm -hmm. not even ask. Do not even look. You know, don't even go that way. Your sin nature might take you in that direction. 
and he, that's what I, I think it's a stern warning that to us today mm-hmm. you know just to, to yeah. stay focused right absolutely and and we we're we're warned I, I like that you brought that up Bob we're warned not even to inquire I mean there are some things that we we start to wonder why does the world like that and then we go and we look at it think about it starts to take over our our thinking and our mind and before we know it we're ensnared we're trapped Uh, this is the big problem with pornography is that it begins with what's the big deal and then all of a sudden before you know it uh, you are trapped and getting loose from things like that is a real spiritual battle it's one of the big ones going on in our times today because we have so idolized sexuality and we've even made it into a primary mode of identity and we have gotten away from godly thinking and this is a danger for the church maybe not only in the area of sex but in in, in a variety of ways you know where what, what is our identity what is our true identity as followers of Jesus it cannot be in anything but Jesus our identity is I'm a follower of Jesus our identity is I'm a child of God by adoption in him our identity is defined by God he made me he gets to say who I am and what I am you know he made us but I think he made us Jerry with a void inside that that void is only for him and I think that uh, one of the challenges in today's society is trying to fill that void and the restlessness that it brings and right. you, you can fill it with anything, like you just said, pornography or, or drinking, drugs, anything. Right. But that void is, is reserved for God and God alone. And I think that's what a lot of people don't know to even turn to that direction to get it filled. Right. So what I was thinking is if we can take this section that introduces the idea of false prophets and at least uh, spend a few minutes in First John 4 that uh, begins by saying beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world and so just like Moses gave the people a test to know how to identify a false prophet if they do these great things if they dazzle you with miracles and signs and things that come true and they also tell you to go serve somebody besides Yahweh don't believe them John also has a test for his flock he says by this you will know the Spirit of God or who's a true prophet every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God so everyone who says that the Messiah has come in the flesh to us in the person of Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, everyone who confesses that is from God. And every spirit, in this word spirit, in this case spirit stands for person, every, every person that does not confess that Jesus, that conception of who Jesus is, that he is the embodied, incarnate Son of God, the Messiah, uh, that Son of Man figure from Daniel 7, um, the... the uh, 
suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the one who was rejected and despised and took upon himself all of our sins and iniquities. If you say that that historical person, Yeshua, is Messiah, then you are from God. If you deny that historical person uh, saying that he is either not Messiah or as some philosophies were growing up, denying that God would have anything to do with flesh, then those people are not speaking from a godly standpoint. Okay? This is the spirit of anti-Messiah, anti-Christ, which you heard was coming and is now in the world. Little children, you are from God. You have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And again, we want to emphasize in John, when he is talking about the world in this way, he's talking about the system of operation that denies the revelation of God in the Bible, denies who that God is, that he is one God, he is eternal, infinite, the creator. Uh, these, are the, these are the people who are approaching life and understanding life from that standpoint. They are from the world. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There are false prophets that John warns us about. Just like Moses warned his people, uh, we need to be on the alert for those who are preaching another Jesus, as it said. You know, uh, if we talk about a Jesus who, well, in our culture today, uh, I, ju I just saw a, a video clip, somebody saying, Jesus doesn't care what gender you are. And goes, Jesus accepts whatever gender you want to be. Jesus loves, well, Jesus is pretty clear that he is against homosexual behavior. Uh, not only in the way that he speaks in the gospel in one or two places, but we need to say that Jesus is the author of the Old Testament, which is pretty clear. And so when people talk about Jesus in a way that doesn't match who Jesus really is, they are in this false prophet category. That's how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Lee, you got something on your mind? Yeah, I do, Jerry, because it would be easy for my Jewish brothers and sisters to hear this and, and as some condemnation of them that because they don't confess Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach as the Messiah as having been born in the flesh, that they are somehow cut off from God. And I don't believe that personally. I um, and I think Ephesians 2, our, we're in Ephesians 2 ministry, is very clear about that in eleven twelve, It says, So then remember that at one time you Gentiles, that's non-Jews, by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, that's the Jews, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you... That's the uncircumcision. The Gentiles mm -hmm. were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So my Jewish brothers and sisters who 
who worship the God, the Creator, who who of the Old Testament, who have received uh, the promises of God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're not saying that you're somehow cut off from God. We're we're just saying pick up the New Testament and read the New Testament and understand this is a continuity story to stop in the middle and not to read to the end keeps you keeps you from being able to think for yourself and see for yourself and study and ask for yourself is Yeshua the Messiah was he born in the flesh was he crucified and poured out his blood for our sins was he resurrected and and therefore overcame death and his life and eternal life that is open to us because he asked the Holy Spirit, he asked God the Father to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts mm-hmm. and to transform us. So Jewish brothers and sisters, please do not take this as some condemnation of you because I personally think that uh, the word of God uh, from beginning to end can't be broken and he's made many promises to the Jewish people and the Jewish people and one of those promises we read today I put before you the blessing and the curse yes. and yes. and so you know the blessing is to follow him to read him to read his word Lee I, I like that you said that so well that uh, we want to invite our Jewish brothers and sisters to read to the end of the story and that Yeshua fulfilled the and Old Testament. If I could just share a little bit of our Haftorah and ask our Jewish brothers and sisters to think about this. Chapter 55, it's an invitation for everyone who is thirsty to come to the waters. Everyone who is without money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine with milk, wine and milk without money and without price. Why are you spending money on that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. This is an invitation from from God. Hear that your soul may live. And that's a a, a Shema word, hear. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. The, what God is talking about is about David, but by the time Isaiah is writing this, David is dead for 300 years. When the people are taken captive, the end of David's reign was never really reestablished when they came back from Babylon. There were imposters there were people outside of David but there is a greater David that we look to this is the genealogy of Yeshua HaMashiach begins the Gospel of Matthew Ben Avraham Ben David son of Abraham son of David and brothers and sisters that's what we want you to know that there is a covenant that God's made with David that's an everlasting covenant that one of his children will sit forever on his throne and reign the nations in peace. We invite you to think about Yeshua, 
Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. He is reigning now at the Father's right hand and he is coming to reign on earth when he returns. We've come to the end of our time and we want to invite you once again to uh, join with us in this prayer of salvation. If you don't know who Yeshua is, but you have become convicted of uh, your alienation from God because of sin, because of choices that you've made, you're not beyond his reach. Jesus came and paid for the sins of the world, and that includes yours, past, present, and future. So if you have become convinced that you're a sinner, separated from God, then you have heard us say, Jesus is the solution. Putting your faith and following in Jesus and committing to follow him as your savior is the path to salvation. And we invite you to pray that prayer now, if that's where your heart is. Father, I know that I have sinned. I know that I'm without hope. But I am calling on you to give me life in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he rose again, that I could have eternal life with you. And I ask you now to put your spirit in me that I might live for you the rest of my days. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you let us know? We are One New Man Ministries International on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear about what you're thinking. We'd love to hear if you have any questions. Also, you can uh, share this broadcast uh, with your friends on various podcast streams. We are One New Man Ministries. Thank you for joining us, and we'll meet again next week. Shalom.